Welcome to another episode of Kiss My Mic. Our theme this month is Amazing Asian Women to honor the many wonderful women from our community. And today, I'm so honored to be joined by the talented Broadway triple threat, J. Elaine Marcos. So J. Elaine is a 10-time scene-stealing Broadway veteran, comedian, acting coach, speaker, and artist. So we'll get to know her more today about all those amazing activities and projects you've done in the past. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of this podcast and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You've got a scene stealer. Every time I hear that, I always hear like triple threat and scene stealer. It just feels like I'm some type of theft. Like I'm just stealing things. I'm threatening and that's who I am. I can't wait to dive into like the actual experiences that you had, like the scene stealing, like in Priscilla, for instance. We'll talk about that, how that became such an iconic character and why it was scene stealing, right? So before that, I guess, Jelaine, so maybe I'll just start by asking you about your Broadway background. If you can, maybe just share a little bit about how you got started in the industry. Uh, Well, like many young Filipino kids, uh, or just kids in general, your parents might put you into classes like dance classes or, you know, the piano, some type of instrument. The piano didn't really stick. I didn't really, I, I studied, I'm glad they had me do it, but it really was a struggle to find any joy in that. I guess it was just, it was a little too... I don't know. I didn't really dive into that. But my parents did see that when it came to dance, it was something I really liked. And whenever I would get on stage to perform, whether it be in my school play, I was able to just be freer. And just recently, I was talking to my mom about like, why did you put me into these lessons? I'm curious, you know. And in hindsight, like I now they're like, oh, we always knew that you had it. But oh, please, I I don't know if they saw that. I don't think they were hoping that I was going to be in Miss Saigon where I played a prostitute. You know, I think we just did what every parent does, which is you put your kid into classes. Thankfully, they kept me very busy. But I did find that I became a lot more outgoing when I was taking some type of acting, performing type of classes, because I took notes very well. I was like a a good student. You know, I follow, I follow the rules, but if the rules are now it's time to play and be imaginative, I was like, done. I will follow that. And I took the note. And in a way, it's like uh, whenever you perform or dance, you're given permission to just play and and have fun. So I took that to the nth degree and then cut to the last year of my high school career. You have to decide what you're going to do with your life. And usually by Friday, they're like, okay, you got to decide now. But I was also a bowler. I mean, I was a real bowler. Like I really was, it was a Filipino thing uh, with my family. We would go bowl. Um, But I also remember it was just so smoky back in the day. Just all I did was smoke in the bowling alley. And anyway, I had to decide what I was going to do. And one of the things I thought, well, maybe I'll become an accountant or perhaps I could pursue this singing, dancing, acting thing because I saw this musical Miss Saigon. And that was the musical that really made me decide that this is something I could do. So 
from that point on, from high school, I auditioned for different schools. And then I found the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York. So once I found a school in New York to study, I that's when I was like, ooh, this is what I want to do. So that's kind of how it all started. No, it's interesting. It's a combination of the parent really thinking this is good for you and then eventually finding your own interest in it. Would that be the case? Yeah, I, my parents never really pushed me, but I think they gave me the opportunity to try different lessons. And it really, I was a strong dancer and I would do dance competitions. And I... <laughs> I think actually when I started winning, you know, scholarships, I think the money validated the, oh, I think she's actually good at it. You know, it's not to say that they didn't care that I loved it. But I mean, once you're validated where like, oh, we're going to give her money for winning this contest. Not to say my parents are all about the money, but they needed to see that. And it wasn't a huge scholarship, but it was just, oh, I think. I think she's actually good at this. And I think with, thankfully, with my work ethic and with the dance background, you're very disciplined. So I, I think they just thought, okay, this is our only daughter. She's going to go to New York. Sure, she's going she's gonna to have to do it because she's got this discipline. That's what I'm thinking they thought. Sending an 18-year-old to New York City, their only daughter. I'm thinking of it now. I'm like, how did they do it? I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Yeah. That's great. That's a great story because they believed in you. And and you're right. I mean, the validation, because I think a lot of times parents don't think that there's money in the industry. I mean, when they do, they, you know, they see Lea Salonga and they see one person. And so I understand how it it's not, it's not linear. It's not like you do this, do this, do this. And their biggest fear is what happens when you don't work? What happens when you're not going to be working? And what I often say is the truth is, is that there will be times that you won't be working. That is that is just the reality. And if the pandemic has shown me anything, I realize, oh, I live my life completely uncertain. My whole life, I, I understand where parents are thinking like, oh, I, how could they... Uh, this is very uh, uncertain career, and I'm just going to agree with them. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Yep. But then tell us about the journey then. So you have Miss Saigon, which I think is your Broadway debut, right? In 1999. And then since then, you've done so many amazing projects. So tell us about that. Yes, I could say, yeah, 10 Broadway shows. But I do want to say that I have been in the business for 25 years and I went from one show to the next. But the time in between, oh, my goodness, it's kind of like this pandemic. You feel like, oh, no, I haven't worked in six months or whatever. It feels like a year. It feels like forever. So it actually from what I learned from being in the business and studying it at AMDA or just in general of like knowing that the business requires you to still keep working when you're not quote working. I might not be in a theater. I might not be on set. I might not be recording voiceovers in a, with somebody, but I am working on my own craft and taking classes. So I stay creative. So even though the times in between, I haven't quote unquote, been working, I'm always auditioning because it's a business where you have to keep, you just have to keep going and nobody's pushing me to do it. Like, yes, I have agents and managers, but 
they work for me technically. And some days I'll get a whole bunch of auditions and some weeks I won't get anything, nothing. And it's mentally, how do I stay focused and go, oh gosh, my life is over. No, keep on going. And then something in a second, Mike, like in a second, I'll get an audition and they'll be like, oh, okay, go through the roller coaster again of preparing the material. And then I find out, let's say I didn't get it. It really is an awesome roller coaster, but it's, that's how I, I understand that it is a cycle that I come back around again if I just stay in the game. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, we've heard stories about how difficult the industry is and you've dropped a few nuggets of wisdom to keep on going. How do you motivate yourself knowing that it's a roller coaster ride and there's a series of ups and downs? How do you keep motivated? Yeah, well, acknowledging when I go on Instagram or any social media and I see wonderful posts from other people, I'll be honest, I feel the jealousy in me. That'll happen. So I have to acknowledge and go, oh, look at them. And then I have to, I'm a human being. And so I turn it back on me and it's like, Jay Lane, have you worked on your own material? Yeah. That's excellent. That's a great way to really channel your energy into something positive because that's what you've been doing. I mean, even though during the pandemic, I mean, you have a show like a few months ago, right? And now you're creating content with, you know, V, which we'll talk about in a second, right? So that's what you're doing. So it's, that's amazing. You know, any other thoughts in terms of your process? I have to remind myself that I do love the thrill of putting myself in a position like I love improv. I love improv that it, it is so scary. And nine times out of 10, it's horrible. My improv is horrible or something like that. But it is just in the act of doing it. Like it's being playful and going, I don't care whatever happens. That type of fun, that type of permission to play and quote unquote failure of a scene or you you will build that muscle of, oh, it all really doesn't matter. I've been getting back into dance class lately and I started off as a dancer first, but you know, after uh, 25 years of dancing, you know, you got one good knee and uh, one good hip today. And then I'm in a dance class with kids who don't know what a meniscus is or an ACL because they've never tore it. But I realize I, I love to dance, but there's this, it's a muscle of not just physically, but it's my mind going, Jay Lane, putting yourself in the situations <laughs> that are kind of difficult, mainly because my I have this expectation, you know, like I, I just am constantly trying to learn to just stay out of my comfort zone. So I just think consistently getting outside of your comfort zone is helpful, humbling also. But the reminder of like, none of this matters. Every time I audition, it matters, but none of it really does. It's not about me. It's not personal. Yeah. And I like what you said about really trying to go out of your comfort zone and with improv. That's a great example because you never know what kind of situation you're going to get in the scenes. Because actually, one of my questions was because you have a lot of comedy roles. So I guess along with improv, first question on the improv itself is, what makes a good improv? And then second is, in the lane of the comedy, the fun, what gravitated you towards that versus other areas? Well, I think you tapped into it fun. You know, when you see somebody laugh and they're laughing and you just go like, oh, what are you laughing at? I want to know. And that's the kind of the bottom line. If I'm having fun, someone else will have fun. I feel like if I'm having fun when I'm auditioning, I, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, like what show it is, the people behind the table 
will remember the feeling of, oh, that girl came in. It was fun. You know, quite often it's ridiculous, I would say, on my end. I eventually started getting really ridiculous with my auditions. But it was because I would be in a state of play. I would be having fun. And initially, when I started doing different things at my auditions, I really wanted to make sure that I was doing something that was fun for me, still serving the piece, of course, but making sure that if I'm going to be doing this, which is auditioning, it's not easy. So if I can't make this fun at all, I don't want to do it. And I think also that's only happened later on in my career, because when I finally started you know, getting my first Broadway show, second, third, fourth, I realized that I can't have the Broadway show define who I am because it closes. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't in Wicked or any of those, those long running ones. And I had to remind myself that depending on however this show, however long this show lasts or whatever it is, I have to be having fun doing it. And I want to be around people that I love to be around. That's the ultimate goal. So Yes, I want to get paid, but I realize that if I'm not having fun doing it, then then I don't want to do it. That's how I kind of decide, kind of. I mean, yes, we need money. And, and I've, <laughs> I'm not saying I've done things, that, but I think the, the idea of having fun in everything I do is a bottom line because I want to have fun and I think other people will too. But if they don't, even if I don't book a role for some, for whatever reason, I want to make sure that I'm consistently have the reputation of, oh, she's great to work with, she's fun. Can I ask you a follow-up on that and maybe just to get a little bit into the, like a deep conversation. Why is that important to you? Like having the, like the fun mindset and making sure that you're having fun. You know, I did have a hard time initially when I was auditioning for things and my acting coach back in New York, we would do episodics. We would be doing serious. And I had a hard time tapping into serious scenes because I didn't want to go. But I realized that I do have a plethora of emotions. But when you can, how would I define it? Comedy is when you take something so serious and you go even deeper into it and it you turn it inside out and it becomes comedic. Like they say, truth and comedy. I do have a depth emotions, but when I turn it on its side and really expose it in a way, it becomes funny. So I kind of turn my drama out. I do think on a surface level or, or anything like that, I always saw cartoons. Tom and Jerry, I think is hilarious and it's the stupidest, but it's just, it just made me feel good. And it's not like I didn't have a childhood that wasn't happy, but it, oh, to see people laugh and to see them laugh at perhaps something I did and for people to leave having that feeling, oh my goodness, that's the best feeling in the world. Like I don't, I don't really want, if people are going to cry, I want to make them laugh right after. And that's a good setup. Yeah, no, I think we're just naturally drawn to things that are passionate about or things that align with our values or beliefs. One hypothetical question for you. Let's say there's a script that you get and it's kind of like a Meryl Streep type role. What will be your thought process with that? And would you ever consider it? And it's kind of like a August Osage County or something like that. You know what? Like there's such a roller coaster whenever those opportunities come. They're like, oh, here's this. My mind goes, oh my goodness, I can't wait. And then if I start working on it, the, the critical mind that comes in and goes, oh, who do you think you are? And then perhaps right before filming it or something like that, I'm like, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be horrible. And then once it's go time, I'm like, whatever happens, happens. Like it's such a roller coaster. 
I, I'm thinking as an artist, we get really excited. And I've seen it with my own students. When I see an audition, they're like, yes, yes, yes. We start working on it. And then they go, I don't want to do it anymore. I can't, I can't coach on it. I don't have time. And I can see, you know, the sabotage and this goes around. And then if I'm able to go like, just stay accountable with them and like, no, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on it. And then eventually they come around, they get really excited again. They get excited again. They do it. And they're like, yes. And then it's, oh gosh, it was horrible. Was it? Yeah. But it's just keeping it real too, right? I mean, it's, I guess it's a way to, because to acknowledge that we are humans and we go through experiences and earlier, right? The awareness seems to be the key. I do want to ask you, because you mentioned about your students and I know you're an acting coach. So when did you transition from really focusing on your own acting career and teaching? There was this documentary that came out called Every Little Step. And it was a documentary, oh, was it like 2008? And it was a documentary for the casting process for a chorus line, um, the revival. And a lot of my colleagues are in there. I'm in there. And I do this thing where I they show my audition tape. Uh, the audition that I did. And it's people will say, Oh, I saw every little step and I saw what you did at this audition. And I changed the lyrics, blah, blah, blah. I just took risks. And people would ask me, Hey, can you do that for me? Can you help me make my songs funny? And I never really thought I could do that. You know, like back then, you know, yes, I've done a couple of Broadway shows already, but I didn't really say out loud that that's something I did, but people would ask me, can you help me write something funny? Can you help me do something like that? I was on the DL. And then the pandemic hits. And then of course, I'm thinking what to do. And also people approached me and said, hey, have you ever mentored somebody? And I was like, well, not like consistent. I I have friends who I help, but I was like, yes, the answer is Yes, I will. <laughs> I will start doing that now. And so I had a handful. And what's great is that they were Filipino artists. They were, and not all of them were like 17 years old or they weren't young. They are uh, younger than myself. Yes. But they were people who later in life, they were like, you know what? I've been hiding behind either something, other, another career, but I've always wanted to do this. And I would then give them, I just feel like I'm giving them permission to do the thing that they always love to do, which is singing, dancing, acting, improv, whatever it is. And so that's kind of how it started. And I really love when I can work with BIPOC artists because I just understand there's this other layer that's on top of all the craziness in the business. You have you have to work on your talent, but as the business is trying to transition right now and be more aware, it's still not happening. I it is I just feel like I want to help them because I nobody says it out loud what that feeling is of looking around and going, okay, there's five Asian people here and there's 500. And not only are we worried about, you know, the singing, dancing and acting, but then we're like, what are then the chances? You know, we have that going on in their head. And that's when I, I'm like, we don't think about that. Just do goddamn good work. <laughs> that's it. We're going to show them you're amazing. If you're not this one, the next one, the next one, we just keep on going and shut that voice down because that's the voice that I hear in my head. And I'm like, no, no, we just do great work. 
we're going to do such amazing work that they're just going to go, oh, one day, yeah, we're going to have to remember this. Do you think that we're getting close to that point? Uh, yes and no. I do see progress. But then, you know, I personally, I do feel like uh, there have been moments of progress in this past year, actually. But then there was another thing that, yes, I let's be honest, you know, the ups and downs. And so recently something happened where it didn't go in my favor of getting something. But in the past rounds of not getting something, I saw the direction in which the casting went. And I really, uh, you know, I might be making this up, but I do feel like once I became the last, like the few people who are up for it, because it didn't say anything in the breakdown of saying looking for uh, Asian or BIPOC performer. They just said looking for a funny lady, you know, and I was like, I can deliver that. And I always can see when I'm in front of casting people, sometimes they're just like, uh, or producers who don't know me, they're just like, who, who is this unicorn? Wow, we never, we never envisioned this role possibly being someone like comedically. Yes, you have it. We never pictured it this way. And I'm like, I get it. And, and I'm going to take it as a compliment. But uh, it, it's just like they don't envision it initially. And I'm very grateful to be meeting them for the first time. And they're like, wow, you have the chops. We just didn't know this existed. And as excited as I am to see that, it also kind of hurts inside. I'm like, you just don't think we exist. Like you, I've been doing this for so long. Like I know Three's Company. That's how long I've been doing comedy. You know what I mean? So it's, I'm, I'm just hoping that I do think it needs to be written in the breakdowns now looking for this and that, especially if they're, I'm at a category right now where they're looking for families. They're looking for a mother to play, you know. And so once it gets down to sometimes me at the end, they're like, oh, we never pictured the person being Asian. So, oh, you know, it doesn't really work with a family because everyone else is white. So, but thank you so much for coming in. And I'm not saying like, it's, I don't want to sound like poor me that I, but I just, it's that initial thought. I don't think they, they picture it initially. So once it gets down to the end of putting a family together, I'm like, yeah, you consciously kind of need to make that choice in the beginning. Yeah. It still shows that there's still a lot more work that needs to be done. Like there's smaller, I guess, enlightenment that's coming up, you know, when they see the initial possibilities, but then it goes back to kind of the other status quo they have in mind, I believe. Yeah, I think and, and it's it's just the default is what the family looks like. And then thankfully I have wonderful representation who really push me and they're they really are like, hey. You didn't really specify a person for this, a type, which is is tricky. I, I absolutely get. That was just a personal experience that I'm, you know, I might be making up a whole story from my end of what it looks like, but that's what I, I've been feeling like. It's uh, I, I that's just my observation. Mm-hmm. What do you think needs to happen to get there, to make it better? I put together my experiences as a performer in a funny way. But I realized that it really is in making sure that we as artists, like if we, we can't just come in in the tail end, you know, projects, you know, as actors, when we're trying to be be part of shows, they have been 
brewing for a long time, you know, like a couple of years now. And then at the very end, we're just trying to sprinkle in. So it needs to kind of be an initial thought. And the reason why that I, from the Broadway world, I know that when I have been part of new casts or a new Broadway shows, I am thankfully and so gratefully, so grateful that um, producers uh, and directors have called me initially and I'm working for $5, but they are saying, hey, would you be part of this initial workshop reading? Because, and so I like to be part of those in the very beginning because that's when I become part of the creative process. And so as it grows, we can throw our special sauce in there, but we're in the seed of it in the very beginning. When it comes to film and television, that's where I'm trying to make my way in there of meeting people who are in that world so I can also be part of that initial process instead of at the very end of like, oh, they're looking for a friend who's funny. So that's kind of where I think it needs to start from the very beginning. That's a good point to be involved in the process right from the beginning, which you're writing when you have a show recently. So so you write the material, your content right now. So tell us about the process for you in terms of developing a character or creating a story. What's usually your process? Like, do you draw from your own personal experience or random things? I always put it on myself as well to make sure that I'm writing. Like when I did my show, uh, what I did for a job, often the the show that I wrote, I always, one thing, I've always loved improv. And what I love about improv is that you're just making stuff up and then from there writing sketches from that. That's kind of like how Second City works on their improv. It has a different way. And I've kind of just been always playing. But because eight times a week doing the same thing over and over again, I would love to always be improvising at the same time. So I take improv classes during the day. And then, so I keep that muscle in, in addition to auditioning, because I feel like it's the same muscle. I would have ideas as characters when I'm just improvising. And sometimes I would extract from there. But my show, what I did for a job is all these different audition pieces that I did for auditions, but they're the ended up being like performance art pieces. And the reason why I was able to put a show with all these pieces is because whenever I would get an audition for a musical theater show or yeah, primarily musical theater, I would get the sides and I would then from there use this opportunity to create like a mini show but it would be my audition piece. And so whenever I would audition for different shows in New York, I kind of would say, I don't have an appointment at 1.30. I have a show at 1.30 because whatever it may be, for example, for Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I mean, the breakdown pretty much said you really should go over the top. So you can't really go in there and sing My Fair Lady unless if you have permission to do other things. So I decided to do my own thing. I I channeled my, any of our, you know, our aunts or uncles who just love karaoke. So I decided to go into my audition for Priscilla while, uh, and do a character like that. And I brought a fake mic with a cord. And then at the same time, because I knew this character needed to be over the top, I decided at the same time to strip. So that was my act, if you will, for Priscilla. But that's what I would do for a lot of my auditions. And I started, it's 
I somewhat got validated by being hired. Like when I when I get hired, I'm like, oh, so I should do this again. And so and not to say it always worked, but that's kind of how I started this that character. And then in Priscilla, I was I, I pretty much channeled my mom and that's who this character really was. Is and that's how V came about. Uh character that I do. Yeah. No, it's always so interesting to just see a different character and, you know, what you bring to the table. So I'm just curious to kind of learn about your process in terms of how you come up with with the characters. Actually, in terms of, I joke about the, you know, the motivational sayings, but you don't think I am living that my, like, I don't think around around my, uh, on everything I have is you are enough. Trust me. All of that is true for me, is absolutely true. I need to hear it. You are enough. You can do hard things. Yeah, that's handy. I mean, like, it's another way to look at that, right? The motivation, you know, in a funny way to make it more fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see posts and be like, you are aligning with the universe. I'm like, yes, I'm aligning. I just feel like, Ugh, I don't want to be that person. The universe is on my side. Yes. Always adding the J. Elaine flavor to the enlightenment, the awakening. So just some more questions, I guess, related to some of your previous projects. We talked about Miss Saigon, Priscilla. We talked about the documentary that you were talking about, about A Chorus Line, and then the other projects that you have, including film as well. So maybe just looking back in terms of those projects, what would you consider, I guess, the most monumental in your career or even personally? Well, one thing that really kind of stands out is when I was closing a chorus line, I tore my ACL at the very end. You would think I'm a basketball player or something like that, but no, I'm five, one and three quarters and I'm dancing and I tear my ACL. But the moment that happened, it was, I really could you know, I can't dance. Really grateful for that because I knew I wanted to pursue more comedy, Mike. I was constantly getting auditions to, you know, Little Mermaid and this and that. And I was like, I don't want to dance in Heelys. In that show, people were swimming and dance like they were on Heelys of these roller skates. And I remember going like, I'm finishing a chorus line and I really don't, I really want to pursue comedy. But to just dive into that, I was really scared because just like anything, you have a reputation. They know me as a dancer, singer. And when that happened, it was a great thing because I had to tell my agents, I was like, look, I'm not dancing anymore. We got to focus more on comedy. So because of that, because instead of a little sign saying pursue comedy, instead the universe was like, we're going to, we're just going to break this. And then we'll now have a choice to really focus. You don't have a choice. And so the I started doing more film and television, and that's when I ended up doing a movie called Morning Glory, and it was it was such a wonderful movie and very fun. And I it was another one of those where they were just looking for a female comedian, that's a female actress who is funny. And I remember the again I could be making this up, but with the casting directors and and when they. Saw saw me, I just feel like, oh, look, we found someone that we didn't think we'd be able to find and they come in a different package. 
No, that is so inspiring because you're just bringing your unique self and they're seeing it. I think the, the universe is telling us to to find that inspiring to embrace ourselves and embrace our uniqueness and somehow the right people will find it. I know. And that's another thing of like the, the right, if not this role, the next role, you know, like, as I just want to say back to my thing of like not getting something. I don't want to say like, oh, I didn't get this because, you know, actually somebody has asked me before in an interview, like how many roles did you not get because you are Asian? And I had a really hard time answering that because that's not even something I want to focus on. So for me to actually focus on answering that question, it put me in a like, now I have to count the amount of times that something that I cannot control, I, I don't even want to think of it. So I, I really had a hard time answering that. I, the only way I could say it is the business is already hard and you have no idea why. So I just want to circle back to the thing I said earlier about like, yes, I didn't get this, blah, blah, blah. I didn't want to say it like that, but I just, I just it was aware of the, I just hope that was heard with not me complaining that I am Asian or that they they don't like Asian people. It's not that. It's just, oh, we never saw it this way. It, it, it's more from that perspective. Yeah. And that's probably a job for the accountant, J. Elaine, right? To count the X's and the yeses and the no's. But one other, one thing that we haven't talked about, you're Alexa Darling, right? On Rent. So how did that come about? Oh, just auditioning. What's great is that, you know, like I was in, I, I live in LA and I went back to New York to work on this other show and it was called Getting the Band Back Together. It was a show that didn't run for a very long time. And that's the reality. Things don't run for a long time for some shows. Other people do have Hamilton and they're amazing and haven't had that yet. But I went back to New York to do that because honestly, I was not working a lot out here in L.A. And not to say, oh, I'm slumming it on Broadway, but I needed momentum. Like I really needed to get work. So I, thankfully, I went back to New York to work and unfortunately it closed. But then right after that, I was in New York at the same right time when they were doing a chorus line and they were auditioning. And then I got to do Val there. Usually I play the role of Connie Wong, but then I played Val. And then off of that momentum, they were auditioning for Rent. And I'm not saying that that's how it happened, but I notice when times that I am working, whatever it may be, there, there is momentum in that. And as usual for anything, I've auditioned for it. So that's pretty much all I really did was audition. But I do feel like one thing always leads to another. And I was probably in a better headspace auditioning for the show, knowing that I was already working in a sense. So I, I don't just attribute it to just auditioning, but I think it's like when I went back to New York to do this show, getting the band back together, to be honest, I wasn't absolutely thrilled with it because I, how do I say this? I was going back into the chorus. I was, and for some people, uh, your ego is shot and I, mine was. I was like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm going back into the chorus of something while normally nobody would, you would go, you become a principal and you just keep moving up. I did what I had to do. Uh, but again, it's not like I wasn't grateful, but it, sometimes it's like uh, my ego. Nobody cared. Again, the reminder of nobody cares, Jaylene. Yeah. I mean, that's actually, thanks for being vulnerable because I think that's an important character building experience, right? To be able to really look at it that way. 
right? So I think, yeah, because otherwise you'll be up there and like, you know, we can't reach you anymore. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I try to keep myself down. Nobody really cares. It was just my ego saying, oh, people are going to, I was like, who's going to? So I, but I really was going through that like struggle of being embarrassed. Like I said, I had to then make sure I I was serving my creative part of me. And that's when I was really putting together my show. So I made sure while I was doing the other show, simultaneously, I was doing my show so that I still felt creative and I didn't feel like I was just serving other people's lives and creativity that I was giving myself an opportunity to, okay, I'm working, thankfully, but you know what, while I'm in New York, I'm going to perform my show at 54 Below, making sure that I stayed creative and not jaded, because that's easy. Yes, always choose the creative path. Such a great way to, I guess, for our final few questions, Jay Lane. I mean, I had so much fun just listening to you, all the stories, such a funny, funny woman. So the theme is amazing Asian women. So there's actually two questions, you know, the part of the final question. First is, tell us what it means to you to be a woman in comedy, Broadway, entertainment. And then second is advice to younger women out there who want to pursue a path in the same industry that you're in. Oh, okay. Uh, the first question. The first thing I think of is not so much the struggle, but the perseverance that is required. The second you say female and comedy, I just, uh, I see, and I guess that's where the accountant in me that never came, was, is the, the ratio of one, like, I just know the times that I have, not that I did a whole bunch of comedy sets. Uh, I would do open mics in New York. And when I came out here to LA, just to keep it going, or even when I'm improvising, there'd be one in eight guys, there'd be one woman, and then there'd be eight guys. And anytime that I was improvising, or doing comedy on a, a night or something like that, primarily, it'd be guys. And so I always felt like, I'm trying to fit in, trying to be cool. And I, but I also know that I'm almost shutting down the female part of me because I have to fit in to be like a guy or whatever. Like, I just know when you say female and comedy, it just says to me, you do what you think is funny to you. And I think that is kind of my underlying thing for everything I do. I have to know, yes, who wrote it, if I'm going in for something like that or a writer. But when it comes to comedy, I know if I am not having fun, if I do not find it funny, if I do not also find that there is any risk involved, doing things that are risky and funny equates gold to me. So I feel like I need to do things that are risky out of character. And I guess that's almost the definition of comedy. It's just the uncertain surprise. Being a female in the comedic world or just in that world, there are just so many other people's opinions and a lot of testosterone. And a lot of times I would get in my head and think, oof, I might not be as funny as them. But it wasn't until I actually held my own and said, Jay Lane, this is what you think is funny. You go along with it. So I think that's kind of just my, I stick to what I think is funny. And then that's it. Because the second I start just playing into other people's, if, if you're in a creative mode and you just following along, 
sometimes there's a place for that if you're in a writer's room or something like that. But when it comes to writing your own comedy or holding your own, let's say, within a comedy team, an improv team, holding, being strong enough to know what you think is funny, hold on to that. Because a lot of times it wasn't until I started doing that myself that I realized, oh, I can tap into that resource a lot. But when I start going into, oh, are they going to think that's funny? Guys don't think, like I start thinking too many things. I was like, no, I just need to think. Stay in my lane. J lane, stay in your lane. But also just stay in it. Yeah, no, I love it. No, it's uh, really the finding the inner confidence in you and belief that, that you have something to bring to the table. And I mean, I think a lot of people would relate to that. If you're coming from a place that you're different, being a woman or being female in a male-dominated writer's room for comedy, being LGBTQ in a straight world, I think that's a great message, Jay Lane, in terms of being confident and believing in yourself. And although right now I'm like, I don't even think I really answered the question properly. I did what I could. But that was what I picked from what you're describing, like being in the writer's room and female comedy. So it's very inspiring to hear that, just the example that you have. So maybe the second question, so in terms of advice, what else could you share to other younger people out there who might be interested in, in this industry as well? You know what? A lot of questions I've been getting lately, whenever there's open calls for anything like Hamilton or Annie, like there were these auditions and there's, you'll see posts on Instagram and often they're auditioning and people would, it said, send in your tape and, you know, you could be the next Annie. You could be in Hamilton. I would get messages from people saying, hey, you know, I want to audition. But do you think I should audition? Do you think, you know, what are the chances? And I get those messages all the time. And I just, I always go, why not? Why not? What? And because the question is, what are my chances? And I go, that's not on you. That's not your job. <laughs> and so I, I don't know how to answer it without saying, just do it. Because if this is something you want to do, you're going to have to do this a lot. If you don't have time to it, fine. I'll give you a maybe, maybe you don't have time. You hear that? No, you do have time because I hear that they want to do it, but their fear of that failure of like, they're not going to get it. And I go, you know what? There's a probability that you won't get it, but are you willing to do the work anyway? Are you willing to do the work anyway, regardless of whether or not you're going to get it or not? And that's the only way that I've consistently auditioned with all the, I can't even tell you, I, again, I'm going to cry if I tell you how many no's I've got. Like, I've gotten so many. They're not even no's. They're, they're completely ghosted. Like, that's what it is. Nobody likes to be ghosted once in a relationship or anything like that. You're getting constantly ghosted, and it hurts. But are you willing to do it anyway? Then, then send in the tape, and then there's going to be another thing. But if you don't do that one tape, it means that I'm going to say, you don't really want this. You don't. And you know, the person who's going to get it is a person who sent in a tape. All, that's all I'm going to say. Absolutely. No, that's great. Yeah. Why not? So let's do it. Yeah. And I also think the way you said it, why, but not why, but wine, not. As in also drinking, but W-H-I-N-E, not. Yeah, it must be the wine's calling me. So <laughs> I think that must be the next activity to do. But I think so beautiful. I mean, Jillian, you know, we love you. We wish you all the best. Can't wait to hear more about your next projects. And 
let us know how we can help you but otherwise i do want to thank you for gracing this podcast with your presence and for taking the time and for saying yes thank you so much jay lane 